secure and become your servant. And let I... Let's take a moment and just take a long, deep breath. Oh, feel the presence of the Lord. Breathe that aroma. Breathe. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, what a power. What an amazing, amazing thing, the power of the Lord. Amen? Amen. This morning we're going to talk about being called to holiness. Last week we talked about developing a hunger for God. They go into holiness and next week. Next week, the 4th of July, the United States celebrates its independence. Those of you that have t-shirts with American flags on them, feel free to wear them tomorrow, next Sunday. I know there's a bunch of them out there. But also, we have to celebrate the fact that Jesus set us free. Amen. That Jesus set us free from the burden of sin. He broke the chains that bind us. So if you want to wear a shirt that reflects Jesus, that's fine. A friend of mine is taking his church and he's taking all the chairs out of the sanctuary and he told everybody to bring their beach chairs. We're not going to do that. Basically because I'll be the one moving the chairs in and out. So we're not going to do that. But, you know, we do have to celebrate not only the independence in this country, but more importantly, the independence that God has given us. Amen. The independence through Jesus Christ. So that, that's next week. I know Sister Susan is leaving for the Philippines, and the last time she went, you know, I was talking to Chris, and I said, well, how'd you make out cooking for yourself? And he told me he had a personal chef. And I thought that was wonderful. I mean, that was the greatest thing I could ever think of. Then he told me his personal chef was Chipotle. And I remember when Rose went away, she, she told me, you need help. Don't cook, because she knows I'll cook nothing but garbage. Then she has Sister Chris call me every day to make sure I'm still breathing. <laughs> so it's nice to have people watch over me. But, it, but it's more important to have God watch over us. It's more important to have what God has called us to. He has called us to holiness. So the question that comes to mind is Christianity a hobby that we do whenever we have time for it? I mean, does it fit into our busy schedule? Oh, I'm going to go to the beach today. I'm going to go to a football game. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Oh, I guess I could go to church. I have nothing to do today. Or is it that we take our faith seriously? And the more time we can get into the house of God, the better off we are. The world has nothing to offer us. As you've seen, the Roe versus Wade overturned, but then the protests by people that still want to kill babies. Yeah. 
They don't want you to have a weapon to protect yourself, but they're willing to kill a baby. And they're outraged by the fact, you know, just don't sin. Just don't have sex out of wedlock. I mean, it makes it very simple. But the world, the world doesn't think like that. A lot of things are acceptable. Having an affair, sleeping with people, living with, with a mate before you're married, cheating on your taxes, gambling, drinking, all these things the world accepts. But God does not. God does not. So you have to decide, is my faith important to me? Important enough that I will leave the world behind and I will just live to please God. Because pleasing God is what it becomes all about. We are called to holiness. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 says, but he who called you is holy. You be holy in all your conduct. So you have to look at things that you're doing and say, would God approve of this? Would God approve of me watching this on television? Would God approve me talking to this person? Would God approve me listening to this dialogue? Would God approve it? The answer is no, don't do it. Amen. The answer is yes, then continue. Then verse 16, he says, because it is written, he tells you to be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. That's God speaking. So do we strive to be holy? Or do we make up excuses for our behavior? You know, you can rationalize anything. I mean, you really can. When I lived in darkness, when I lived in addiction, I could, I could rationalize anything. Yeah. I could make it your fault I stole money from you. <laughs> Without a problem. I, could, I was so manipulative, I could change the dialogue so quickly that you'd be apologizing to me for stealing your money. <laughs> Thank God for Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can rationalize anything. You can actually murder somebody and make it their fault. I mean, so is holiness something that we want to do? The Church of God, which we belong to, we're part of the denomination, the Church of God International out of Cleveland, Tennessee. It has a declaration of faith. Number seven says holiness is to be God's standard of living for his people. Number eight says we believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, subsequent to a clean heart. You have to have a clean heart in order to receive the baptism. Mm -hmm. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness so he's telling you to pursue peace and pursue holiness without which no one 
will see the Lord. Without your pursuing of holiness, you will not get to heaven. It won't happen. It tells us right there. And then we know as Christians we need to live holiness, which is a life without sin. And we know that's impossible for us. I mean, we were born, we have all sinned, we've all fallen short to glory of God. But we're all part of the people that God has poured out his mercy on. His grace has allowed us to repent and ask for forgiveness, and his mercy has forgiven us. And he tells us he remembers our sin no more if we truly repent. But we know that if you read 1 John, and you read chapters 2 and 3, John, he goes to great lengths stressing the fact that we need to live a sinless life. That's not as easy as you would think it, it is. I mean, somebody could say something nasty about you and you react with revenge. You're sinning. So we have to be careful of what we do. But for instance, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, it says, he says, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Mm -hmm. And the truth is not in him. Oh, I know Jesus. But then you don't obey anything he tells you to obey. So you're a liar. He says, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. And he who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. Meaning we should walk just like Jesus walked. We should react to the situations that are at hand just the way Jesus would. I fall short of that sometimes, as I'm sure we all do. Our sanctification, although being sanctified when we surrender to Christ, is also a work in progress. We're not going to reach perfection until we get to heaven. And then John goes down into verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So if you love the things of the world, then God doesn't love you. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? When you think about how is how important is the things of the world? They're all going to pass away. Nothing is going to be left. Read your Bible. What you see out there is going to be gone. And then we go down into chapter 3. And verse 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. What's he basically saying? Don't give God lip service. Yeah. I mean, and you, we all know what lip service is. Every one of us that's ever had a job has given our boss lip service. Mm 
Yes, sir, I'll do it. I'm, uh, yeah, I'll be done by tomorrow. Oh, geez, I forgot. My third cousin, my grandmother died for the 15th time and I wasn't able to do it. I mean, we all know those excuses. We've all used them. The thing is, God is omnipresent. True. He is omniscience. He is omnipotent. He knows every thought in your head. He knows them before you think them. So you can't get away with that with him. Then verse 24. He who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. And we all have that spirit dwelling within us. If we have surrendered our lives to Christ, if we have truly, truly surrendered our life to Christ, the spirit of the Lord dwells within you. Amen. He dwells within you. We don't share it. You can't call me up and say, hey, I want to borrow your spirit today. I feel like getting godly. No, you, you know, it doesn't work that way. So if you have the spirit of the Lord in you, we're holy. We're, we ought to be holy. We ought to be motivated to live holy lives. So is it my aim to live life without sin? Or is my aim to sin not very much? Let me just cut my sinfulness down by 10% this month. That's not what God says. He doesn't give you a little chart that you get to follow. To God, it's all or nothing. There's no gray area. There's no walking on the fence. There's none of that. You're either in God's army or you're not. And those of you that think you can walk the fence, you've been lied to. So we need to be motivated. I mean, the world tugs at us. I mean, it tugs at us. And sometimes it wins. Sometimes we have that temporary lapse. Sometimes we backslide a little bit. But God tells us if we truly repent, Amen. he will forgive us. Amen. He will remember it no more. But we can't make a hobby of that. So do we want to live pleasing God? Or do we want to live pleasing the world? Can't have it both. Belong to God. Thirst for his holiness. Belong to God. You've got to be born again. You have to accept Christ. But you have to have this Holy Spirit come dwell within you. You have to use it. You have to pray to it. You have to refer to it. It has strength. I mean, what is holiness? What's it mean to be holy? It means to be cut off, that you've been separated. God pulled you out. I don't know how many billion people there are on the face of the earth, but he picked you. He reached down and he picked you. 
And he said, I'm setting you apart for great works that I have for you. I'm setting you apart to be my child. I'm setting you apart to watch over you, to give you refuge, to give you strength. He said, I'm setting you apart because when you come off of that earth and into my heaven, I got a mansion for you. I'm building it right now. I have a mansion for you. It means to be morally pure. That's something the world doesn't want. They don't want you to be morally pure. That the Lord of hosts is an awesome God. He occupies the moral space like no one else has ever occupied. I remember when I grew up, was growing up, when I grew up, yeah. I haven't grown up yet. But I remember growing up and Jerry Falwell, who founded Liberty University, I mean, his son was running it. I think he had a lapse, but anyway, he had a radio show called The Moral Majority. And you listen to some of those things that he said. You'd look at yourself and say, geez, I, I can't even measure up to that. I can't even measure up to a radio show. How can I measure up to God? But Jesus washed away our sin. He gives us that opportunity to get closer and closer to him. We have to understand that living holy lives, living separated from the world, is a privilege. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's an honor to be called a child of God. I mean, God created everything that's out there. In Exodus 15, Verse 11, it says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? In 1 Samuel 2, 2, it says, No one is holy like the Lord. There is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. God's holiness it's not an aspect of who he is or what he does, no. It is the essence of who he is. God's holiness is the makeup of who God is. So if you were asked, how is God's holiness revealed? The answer comes in everything he does. In everything he does. Everything God thinks, everything God desires, everything God speaks is holy in every way. God is holy in every attribute and every action. He is holy in justice. He is holy in love. He is holy in mercy. He is holy in power. He's holy in sovereignty. He's holy in wisdom and he's holy in patience. He's holy in anger. He's holy in grace. He's holy in faithfulness. He's holy in compassion. And he's even holy in his holiness. God is holy. You know, when David was getting older, 
the tabernacle of Moses and the Ark of the Covenant they recovered. They recovered the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines and David wanted to build this, the temple, which they called the second temple because they called the tabernacle of Moses the first temple. But God told David, look, there's just too much blood on your hands. You can't do it. But Solomon can. So Solomon went ahead and he built the temple. And you read the story in 1 Kings 6, 1 Kings 7, and 1 Kings 8. And it said it this way in 1 Kings 6, 11. And then the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, Concerning this temple which you are building, if you walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, keep all my commandments, and walk in them, then I will perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father David, and I will dwell among the children of Israel, and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the temple, and he finished it. In 1 Kings 7.51 it says, So all the work that King Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought these things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and the furnishings, and he put them in the treasures of the house of the Lord. So now he's building up all these things that David had accumulated, and he's putting them in the temple. And then 1 Kings 8, 4 says, and they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meetings, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. And the priests and the Levites carried them all in. Then 1 Kings 8, 4 says, And then it came to pass, when the priests came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. So the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Isn't that just awesome? That you're doing something for God. You're building a temple for the Lord. And he's filling it. He's filling it with his presence. Then Solomon began to pray. A prayer of dedication over the temple. And he says, and he begins this way in verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication. Oh, Lord, my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer of your servant who is praying before you today that your eyes may be open towards this temple day and night, towards this place which you have said, My name shall be there. And then you have heard the prayer which you have, your servant has made in this place. And then he says, that you may hear the supplication of your servant, your people Israel. When I pray towards this place, hear in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Solomon went on, I mean, the, the prayer goes on for a few chapters. But he's basically saying, Lord, I put everything I can into this place. I know you're bigger than it is. You said you would dwell here. You said you'd watch over your people. 
If you looked at the temple that Solomon built, because everything was overlaid with gold. I mean, the place was full of gold. It would cost over a trillion dollars to build today. It would cost over one trillion dollars to build that temple. But the amazing thing is, you look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of God? And the Spirit of God dwells within you? So we change from having an Ark of the Covenant to having the Spirit of God dwelling within you. That same God that Solomon built a temple for a trillion dollars now dwells in each and every one of you. You are now the temple of God. So how much are you worth to God? I mean, it's just amazing. It's awesome when you think about this. You have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. You have all of that. Verse 17 says, If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? He's talking about Paul saying, Are you a temple of the world or are you a temple of God? If you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you and someone defiles you, God is going to destroy them. God's going to destroy them. The Spirit of God dwells within you. No one can defile the temple of God. No one should defile the church. When we get together in one spirit, in one accord, the Spirit of God just manifests himself so wonderfully. He touches the people that need to be touched. That's what he's here for. That's what we're here for. We're not here for accolades. I mean, there's better preachers. You can find them on the Internet. There's better worship singers. You can find them on the Internet. That's not the point. The point is we gather in one accord with one thing in mind, worshiping a holy God, letting the spirit that God has dwelt and put inside of us gather in his presence. Manifest itself in his presence. Verse 18 of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems wise wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness for God. For it is written, he catches the wise at their own craftiness. So in other words, it's saying you're not going to outsmart God. (laughs) You may think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. But God says, you got to make yourself a fool. Because you're not the greatest thing since sliced bread. I I am God. And my spirit dwells within you. Chase after that. I remember a story 
there were these three people. There was this gentleman who called himself the smartest man on the face of the earth. There was a young boy scout and there was a pastor. And they needed to fly from this one place to another. So they get a plane, they rent a plane, the pilot comes. The pilot says to them, now look, he says, if we have any mechanical problems, I only have three parachutes. So he says to the little kid, you, you go with somebody, let them hold on to you and take you down. So they're flying along, you know, and sure enough, the plane develops engine trouble. Pilot comes out, grabs a parachute, jumps out. Now the smartest man in the world says, look, I've got to have a parachute. I am the smartest man in the world. This world will not exist without me. It needs me. And he grabs one and away he goes. The pastor says to the young boy, he says, look, I've lived a good life. I know I'm going to go to heaven. Feel free to take the last parachute and I'll just go down with the plane. The little boy says, oh, don't worry about that. The smartest man in the world took my backpack. <laughs> So Paul, just being a little sarcastic, and I understand sarcasm, he says, of course, the Corinthians, they considered themselves wise to the age. They considered themselves very worldly, very modern. You know, they were, they were on the cutting edge of what society's trends are, you know. I mean, I see things now, and I look, I go, when did we start doing that? So their problem was they loved worldly wisdom. And you all know people like that. Some of you have friends like that or acquaintances or co-workers. And all you can do, I mean, you're not going to be able to convince them their ways are wrong. You just show them your ways are wrong. They start to see you blessed every single day. They start to see you happy and content and peaceful in crisis situations. And they'll wonder, where do you get your joy from? Where do you get your peace from? You get it because you chase after God. Amen. You get it because you're one of his children. Paul tells us that we need to renounce all worldly wisdom, all humanism. We have to lower ourselves and humble ourselves before God, and God just takes us in. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise people, just as he knows your thoughts. But so many of them are not part of his family. So many people today, according to Barnum Research, who claim to be Christians aren't even close. I mean, they sit in churches every Sunday, and if the rapture came, they'd still be sitting there. Because they haven't an idea. They keep living in the world. 
need that help then? What does it mean for us to be holy? God told Israel in both Leviticus 11 and 19, he instructed them to be holy. He told them that they cho he chose them. They became his special people. He set them apart out of all the people on the face of the earth. Just like he set you apart out of all the people on the face of the earth. They are his special people. They were given standards to live by. So the world would know that they belong to God. I mean, when people see the difference in you, and they know that you're a Christian, they know that you're following God, they know you believe in that, the first thing they're going to do is try to tear you down. They're going to attack you. The second thing they're going to do is they're going to see that you're different. They're going to notice that. God said he set him apart for a reason. He wants you to be distinct from the world. 1 Peter 2.9 describes us as a holy nation. A holy nation. We are separated. So how do we become holy? With the right relationship with God. Amen. That's all it takes. That may sound very simple. It's very easy words to say. All you'd have to do is have the right relationship with God. That's not that easy to do. Because there's tests everywhere along the road. There is always a test. There's always a trying time. And God's going to see, how did he do this? How did she handle this? How did he handle this? How did he do this? Amen. There's somebody at the door. Okay. How did he do this? How did he handle this? Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57, verse 15 says, and this is the reason. God lives forever. And he is holy. He is high and lifted up, he says. I live in the high place, in the holy place. But I also live with my people who are sad and humble. I give new life to those that are humble. I give new life to those that are humble. Humbling yourself is not an easy experience. Because the world teaches us to walk around all puffed up. Look how great I am. God says, no, you got to humble yourself. It's not about you. It's not about you at all. I give new life to those who are humble and those whose hearts are broken. Broken and destroyed by the world. It's part of the potter's house DNA that the broken are made whole here. Everybody has been broken at one time or another. Everyone will continue to be broken if they continue to battle in the world. The enemy, unfortunately, 
will attack you. The closer you get to God, the more spiritual warfare you're going to fight. Oh, yeah. Amen. You know, your equipment list is going to have to get bigger and bigger. Amen. Which is just knowing the word of God. Right. Trusting in God is just going to have to get stronger because the attacks are just going to get bigger and bigger. But the thing is, you know, when you're under those spiritual attacks, that there is a breakthrough coming. Amen. Hallelujah. God doesn't care, and the enemy doesn't care if you're sitting in church. What he cares about is if you're receiving God's word. Amen. What he cares about is if you're living the way God would have you live. Amen. Because that means he's losing you. Amen. Just to sit in church doesn't bother him because he hasn't lost you at that point. But when he come up here, and you go after God with all you've got, then the enemy goes after you because he doesn't want to lose you. You're as valuable to him, but you're more valuable to God. Amen. I mean, I know pastors get in spiritual warfare. I know the worship team goes through it. So it's going to happen. But David wrote in Psalm 51, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold to me your generous spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sometimes after we've been saved for a few years, it becomes very easy for us to get comfortable. And we forget those days when the fire just grew in our bellies and we just couldn't get enough of God. I remember when I first got saved, not only did I go to three church services on Sunday, I was there Wednesday night, and if there were special speakers coming around town during the week, I was there. Some weeks it was five nights. I was in church. I just could not get enough of God. Believe me, if I thought people would come and have this church open every single day, Amen. trust me, I would. Thing is, you wouldn't come. But if you would, it would be open every day. Amen. We have people that come here faithfully now for over three years, praying Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday morning. They're here. They were here during COVID. They were here when COVID ended. They are here. Why? Because they want more of God. Amen. Because they want more of God. This Friday night coming is first Friday. We will have prayer from seven to at least eight, maybe longer. So there'll be people that are here in the morning and here at night. Why? Because they want more of God. Amen. Create in me a clean heart, O oh Lord. 
What more could you ask for? What more could you ask for? Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Keep me strong. Keep that spirit coming. Be that fire in me. And he says, don't cast me away from your presence. Never, never eliminate me from your presence, oh God. You guys can come up. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I can imagine what life would be like without the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to go back to the ways of the world. I mean, I get so upset when I hear about people that backslid. I feel like a total failure. When things don't work out the way they should. When people that you've been ministering to and all of a sudden, the flesh rears its ugly head. Makes me feel like I failed. But I know I can't control what other people do. All we can do is guide you in the path you need to go. It's your decision whether you take the road or you don't. But it hurts. It hurts when those kind of things happen. I know I've let down people that ministered and mentored me at times. Because I'd get caught up and I'd backslide. But then it just comes back to me. Create in me a clean heart. Amen. Oh God. Oh God, please stand to your feet.